something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge the season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Claim comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that charts the storms of history every day of the week. I'm Gabe Luzier, and in this episode, we're mapping the history of hurricane naming conventions including the rise and fall of a sexist policy that drew a direct line between womanhood and temperamental weather. The day was May 12, 1978. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration announced that it would no longer name hurricanes exclusively after women. From then on, the official storm designations would alternate between the names of women and men. The change was made at the direction of Commerce Secretary Juanita Kreps, who oversaw the National Weather Service and its umbrella agency, the NOAA. The U.S. government had been using only women's names for storms since the early 1950s, a practice which many feminists had long denounced as sexist. Some women's rights activists, most notably Roxy Bolton, had spoken out against the policy since the late 1960s. But it wasn't until a woman was placed in charge of the agency for the first time that the unfair policy finally came to an end. For centuries, weather forecasters have struggled with how to best keep track of the many storms that pummel their corner of the globe each year. The most basic system was to log each hurricane or other tropical storm by the order in which it occurred in a given year and by its geographic coordinates. However, that quickly proved confusing, as it was easy to mix up two or more storms that occurred in the same place or at the same time. The natural solution was to use short, distinctive names when reporting information about a specific storm. However, 
there was still no clear consensus on which names should be used. Prior to 1953, the United States had a rather messy way of naming tropical cyclones. The year in which they occurred was always noted in the name, but sometimes it would be paired with a geographic location, such as the Galveston Storm of 1900, and other times it was listed alongside a vague description of the storm's intensity, like the Big Blow of 1913. The lack of a clear system often led to confusion, as the same name would unknowingly be applied to multiple storms. Outside the continental U.S., forecasters found more orderly solutions, such as in the West Indies, where hurricanes were named for the Catholic Saints' Day, on which they made landfall. But it was British meteorologist Clement Ragg who began the tradition of using first names to describe weather systems. In the late 19th century, Ragg set up a vast network of weather stations around Queensland, Australia, and began describing the storms he tracked using the names of figures from Greek and Roman mythology. Once he tired of that, or after he ran through all the good ones, Ragg moved on to the names of local politicians he disliked, and then, finally, to the names of Pacific Island women whom he found attractive. According to the NOAA, Ragg's concept later inspired American novelist George Stewart, whose 1941 book, Storm, included a junior meteorologist who was in the habit of naming Pacific storms after former girlfriends. Stewart's novel was widely read during World War II, especially by U.S. Army Air Corps and Navy meteorologists, who were themselves responsible for tracking tropical storm movements over the Pacific Ocean. Many of them began naming those weather systems after their wives and girlfriends back home, presumably as a tribute rather than an insult. The National Weather Bureau, later the National Weather Service, was placed under the purview of the Department of Commerce in 1940. Once the war was over, the Bureau introduced an official storm naming system based on the military phonetic alphabet, so Abel, Baker, Charlie, Delta, etc. The system proved confusing, however, and by 1953 the entire list of options had been exhausted. That's when it was decided that the Bureau should adopt the informal policy of military forecasters and start naming hurricanes after women. And since the U.S. was at the forefront of weather tracking technology at the time, several other countries eventually followed its lead, including both Australia and New Zealand. No one's quite sure why these nations' governments felt it was okay to use only traditionally female names, but it may have had something to do with the maritime tradition of referring to the ocean as a woman. Ships are also typically referenced with feminine pronouns, and that too may have played a factor in the decision. Whatever the thinking behind it, the shift in policy had an unfortunate effect on weather broadcasting. Many American weathermen began talking about storms as if they were actual women, and some even used sexist cliches to describe the intense and unpredictable nature of a storm, saying things like, she can't make up her mind, and she's no lady. As you would imagine, many women meteorologists, as well as plenty outside the profession, were offended by being likened to violent, often deadly storms. The most vocal of these detractors was the late Roxy Bolton, a Miami-based activist who helped found a series of women's shelters and rape crisis centers in Florida. 
As a member of the National Organization for Women, Bolton added the issue of hurricane names to the group's 1970 agenda. That year, she wrote her first of many letters to the National Hurricane Center, imploring the agency to consider changing its policy. She also met with several directors of the National Weather Service, famously telling them, quote, Women are not disasters, destroying life and communities, and leaving a lasting and devastating effect. She also mused that if destructive capacity was the criteria for naming storms, then perhaps U.S. senators would be more appropriate namesakes. Plus, after all, they, quote, delight in having things named after them. Roxy Bolton continued her crusade throughout the 1970s, including a tongue-in-cheek campaign to replace the word hurricane with himicane, so that people wouldn't be tempted to think of them as women. But no matter what tactic she tried, the U.S. government just wouldn't budge. However, the issue would find a new champion under the Carter administration. After taking office in 1977, President Carter appointed Juanita M. Kreps as his Secretary of Commerce, making her the first woman to hold that office. Kreps was familiar with Roxy Bolton's efforts, and she used her position at the Commerce Department to help bring them to fruition. The Australian Bureau of Meteorology had already switched to using a mix of male and female names for tropical storms, and Kreps directed the NOAA to do the same. By that point, the National Hurricane Center had handed over its naming duties to the World Meteorological Organization, or the WMO. The agency said it was too late to change the global tropical storm naming policy for 1978, but that it would do so the following year. However, Secretary Kreps really didn't want to wait and risk having the issue fall by the wayside. So in the meantime, she had the National Weather Service work out a deal with Mexico to change the naming system for the Eastern Pacific region of the U.S. effective immediately. That deal was announced on May 12, 1978, and later that year, an Eastern Pacific hurricane became the first to bear a man's name, Bud. In 1979, the various weather agencies finally got on the same page, and the new system officially took effect. Officials started pulling from a list that included an even split of masculine and feminine names, and in July of that year, a Gulf Coast hurricane named Bob became the first Atlantic storm to be officially designated with a traditionally male name. Today, hurricanes continue to be named after both men and women. The names are chosen several years in advance, and the lists are swapped out every six years. Hurricane names are rarely retired for good, but it does happen on occasion, usually when a storm is especially deadly and it would seem in poor taste to use the name again, such as with Hurricane Katrina, for example. It's obviously still a bummer to share a name with a catastrophic storm, but thanks to the work of women like Kreps and Bolton, at least now it's an equal opportunity bummer. I'm Gabe Lusier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can learn even more about history by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can always send them my way by writing to this day at iHeartMedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays and Ben Hackett for producing the show, and thank you for listening. I'll see you back here again soon 
for another day in history class. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge the season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Claim comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.